Just a couple of weeks ago was my final service as youth pastor at Capital Community Church. It was a Wednesday evening, and I would say on behalf of my wife, Trish, and myself, uh, that this is certainly an exciting time for us and also for our church as we move forward into this new season of leadership. We're so thankful for all that has been happening here. We could not be more excited about what God is doing now and what he will continue to do on into the future. And to be just a small part of this great church, I would say, is certainly a high honor. In that final youth service, I addressed the students, and honestly, I did a little bit of reminiscing, and I shared a message with them that I want to share with you all today. I've I've been serving as one of the leaders of Revolution Youth since January 2010. At that point, I was working alongside another as a co-leader. All of you, many of you would know Brother Mike Hennessy. We served together in tandem for two and a half years, 32 months to be exact. And then since September 2012, which is nine years ago this month, my wife Trish and I have been at the helm as youth pastor of CCC. And it has certainly been a wonderful time. And I would just insert here that I am so excited for this next season of leadership in our youth department. And I believe that God has his hand upon all those involved. We have served long enough in that capacity that we have seen many move their way through the entire youth age bracket. And now they're doing a work for God as young adults. You know that you've been doing something for a little while when the ones that you led are now leading things and leading others themselves. You know, we did a lot of fun things over the years as youth pastor, New York and Boston bus trips, long hauls to North American Youth Congress on two separate occasions, youth conventions, multiple trips to Green Hill Lake Camp for winter retreats, and a couple summer excursions as well. There were a few Christmas parties dotted throughout the years, a number of lock-ins, thank God not too many anymore. And lots and lots of memes of the week in recent years. And over these almost 12 years as youth pastor, I've done my very best to bring a word from God to our students every time I had the opportunity to speak. I must say that I believe in the power of God's word. I believe that it is God's anointed living word. It is manna from heaven that brings direction and guidance and empowerment. Now, there might be some young people that would attest that perhaps at times I droned on a little bit too long on one point or another in one sermon or another, but I am so thankful that here at Capital Community Church, we are not just a social gathering. But this is a place where God's word is declared and thereby lives are impacted. And furthermore, I am very grateful that that is not about to change anytime soon. We're a people of the word and I thank God for that. Now perhaps someone here today is wondering how a person like myself ended up in the role of youth pastor at Capital Community Church this past decade or so. And there are perhaps several factors that are involved, but I think the very best way to tell you how that happened is to simply tell you my story. And so let's go back to the beginning for a few moments, 
and let's do some reminiscing of our own. I came to Fredericton with my family in June 2001, and I was nine years old. That fall, I turned 10, of course, and for the very first time, I don't know why, but this sticks out in my memory, I buzzed my head for the very first time, and I got a new short-lived nickname from some family members, Peach Fuzz, you know, because of the buzz cut and all. And, and some of those same family members, they, they called me P.F., standing for Peach Fuzz, Tenny, because I was 10 years old, and so I went by the uh, alias for a while, the nickname P.F. Tenny. True story. If you know, you know. And then a year later, I joined the youth group. That story really had nothing to do with anything. I just felt like sharing. And I got to tell you, a year later when I did join the youth group, I was so excited to do so. Honestly, Wednesdays were my absolutely, uh, my favorite day of the week. And though I was young, I quickly got myself involved in helping my youth leadership, however and wherever I could. We used to gather on various nights, certainly on Wednesday evening for services, but for a while there, we actually gathered on Monday evenings as well for a games night, and we played all kinds of group games. Namely, we played a game called Mafia, and uh, I got to tell you, as a young person, this was another day that I enjoyed very much, and, and I wanted to see these go on as long as possible, given my enjoyment, and, and so I was committed to making them as awesome as possible, and I can recall getting my mom to help me on occasion to make goodies to bring to the other youth. I remember there was one time, at least maybe twice, that we made knockoff homemade Krispy Kreme donuts, which took hours upon hours to make. These were yeast raised, form them, let them rise, fry them in oil, shower them with glaze. I mean, it was the real deal. Probably didn't taste exactly the same as a Krispy Kreme donut, but they were delicious. And I took them and I shared them. Thanks, Mom. Everybody else, thanks you that remembers as well. It was just such a great time. It didn't matter how much time it took. I just wanted to be involved. I wanted to contribute. And at that particular time, donuts seemed like the best way to do so. I served on the youth media team on and off. I played drums in service, bass guitar. I even led worship while playing the bass guitar. And to everybody that had to endure that, I apologize. It seemed like I had my hand in so many different things, but I loved all of it. I was the one who often was in the middle of sermon illustrations or, or skits, and we could go down that rabbit trail for quite some time, but I will spare you today. I just loved using my talents and my skills to help my leadership. I would shoot and I would edit videos frequently for various sermon illustrations. And truth be told, most of my skill set, it has come from simply trying things while helping my youth pastors. I learned so much, and in turn, I was able to keep giving back more and more, a pattern that I loved very much. Now, maybe you think that, you know, I'm just trying to brag or bloviate this morning, and that's not the case. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you. The fact that I loved being around, and I loved being involved as a young person in my church. In fact, when I was 14 or so, I remember coming to the church almost every single day on my summer break. And I understand this is not feasible for the vast majority of people, but 
I lived just down through the woods, about a five-minute walk, and so I would come up on the daily. I would practice drums. I would play games. I would tidy the church, and sometimes I would just simply sit in the corner of my youth pastor's office in a big, green, semi-sphere, wicker cushion chair while he worked. Probably at times, I annoyed or distracted him from writing out a set of sermon notes, but again, I just loved being around. Oftentimes, because I I was there, my youth pastor would give me tasks and ask me to plan a sermon illustration. He would get me to help him clean the church, which was a part of his weekly duties at the time. Why? Well, I think simply because I was there. You know, thinking back on all of this and doing some reminiscing, coming to the end of this season in our lives, I, I can recall some pretty significant Youth wing and youth chapel renovations. In fact, I've been involved in three youth chapel renovations. Praise the Lord. And you all likely can remember the most recent one in 2019, but I remember 2008 and 2005, I believe. That first overhaul, it it made a major difference. We painted the walls black. We had black curtains backstage. There was even a little graffiti on the back wall not done by me. We installed lighting and changed the ambiance. We added new speakers and subwoofers, and there was excitement in our student ministry, and I was in the middle of it, helping however and wherever I could. A little later, we decided to create a designated space for hanging out and playing games, and you got to give it up for our creativity. We, We called this room where we played games the games room. Isn't that amazing? Go figure. We knocked down a wall, we laid new floor, we added some fresh paint colors. It was bright green and it was navy blue. There were beanbag chairs and PS2 consoles, ping pong, pool tables, a stereo system, blue couches with storage for board games. There was funky handmade art, which I helped with. And it was all ours. And I can still remember the grand opening, taking an entire Wednesday night and just hanging out in our new space. It was so exciting to me to see everybody enjoying this new games room because I had contributed. I felt like I was in the middle of helping to make it happen. In our second youth chapel overhaul, we ripped up carpet, we took up subfloor, we painstakingly pried with pliers all the staples out of the floorboards for hours. There were blisters upon blisters. And I would just like to publicly apologize to all the Sunday school teachers, namely Tammy and Michelle, that had to week after week vacuum up rows of dust that had fallen through the floorboards. We apologize for that. We changed everything to earthy colors, a lot of greens and browns, and that's when we officially became the revolution. It was a great time, and like everything else, I was in the middle of it, and I loved it. You'll have to pardon me a little bit this morning for reminiscing. But if I could sum up all the years that I have been blessed to be a part of this youth group, this church staff, thinking back on all the years that I was both a student and also a leader, if I could somehow sum up how God opened the door for me to step into that pastoral pastoral role roughly a decade ago, here's how I would do it. I believe it happened because I positioned myself right in the middle 
of everything going on. And when needs arose, I was there. When an illustration needed coordinated, I was there. When we were ripping up carpet, I was there. When we needed a video made, I was there. When they needed a media person, I was there. When they needed a musician, and yes, even a worship leader, sorry again, I was there. I don't believe that I was sought out and asked to do things because I was some super spiritual or overly gifted individual in the youth group. I believe that it's just that I was there. I wonder if you're sitting near somebody, why don't you go ahead and help me, give them my title, tell them my story, tell them he was there. He was there. I understand this morning that it's cliche, but the truth still remains that God is not looking for people with ability, but rather God is looking simply for availability. The truth is I never sought to be the leader. I never vied for pastoral positions or high-ranking leadership roles, if you want to say that's what it was. Truth is, I just wanted to be in the middle of everything going on. But I have found that God is able to use people like that. People that just show up day in, day out, week in, week out, and they make themselves available for kingdom service. I wanted to be involved. And so guess what I did? I involved myself. Crazy, right? I involved myself. If I could just be frank for a few moments, I, I don't know that I'll ever understand people that say they want to be involved, but then they rarely show up to be involved. Attendance is sporadic, and sometimes it seems like when they are here, they're kind of off in a corner, not engaged, not talking to people. It seems like they're waiting around for somebody to ordain them with responsibilities rather than finding a need and taking it upon themselves to do something about it. As youth pastor, over the years, I've had people even come to me and they would tell me, hey, I want to be involved with the youth department. And I would say, that's great. That's awesome. And I meant it sincerely. And oftentimes, I would even suggest a role or a task that they could lean into. But so often, I have seen those same people who wanted to be involved fade out and rarely show up. Can I tell you this morning that those who were most involved throughout my years as youth pastor in the youth department, and more broadly, those that are involved in Capital Community Church ministry, they are those who show up period, end of story. They show up. You look around and they're always there. They're like fixtures at Capital Community Church. They're like these padded chairs or the piano over here beside me. They're fixtures. They're like the furniture. You just expect to see them every time you walk on the campus. It gets to the point that if they happen to be away for a service due to illness or due to work or whatever, we feel their absence, and it's probably because something's not getting done. They have made themselves so invaluable, and I've told our students over the years, you know, you need to involve yourself to such a degree that if you don't show up, there's probably something not getting taken care of. That's the kind of person that I want to be in my local church and in the kingdom of God. I want to be a person that involves myself, that, that makes myself useful and puts my hands to work. I think it's, 
It goes without saying, perhaps, but there are those that desire roles and titles, but at the same time, they balk at serving quietly and consistently without position. But if you want to be used by God and be involved in your church and the kingdom, the message is simple this morning, but I hope you receive it. Just be there. Just be there. If you're wondering how it happened for me, how God has opened doors in my life over the years, I'll tell you why. I was there. That is my story. I wasn't perfect, but I was consistent. I wasn't the most gifted, that's for sure, but I was involved. I always showed up ready and willing to do whatever I could to help push this thing forward. We often recognize the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus. But you must understand that there were more than just them. The 12 were Jesus' inner circle of followers, but there were many more disciples who followed Jesus. As you read through the Gospels, it becomes apparent that there were dozens, perhaps hundreds of disciples that followed Jesus and listened to and applied his teaching. For example, in Luke chapter 10, we read how Jesus sent out not just 12, but 72 disciples in pairs. These were those who followed Jesus, but weren't necessarily among the 12. And this larger overall group of disciples doesn't get, get much recognition in the scripture, but they are there nonetheless. They were there listening with amazement to the Sermon on the Mount that day beside the Sea of Galilee. They were there eating their fill of fish and loaves on the plain of Bethsaida. They were there witnessing the miraculous healings of Jesus in Capernaum. They were there adding their voice to the crowd that praised Jesus as he rode a donkey into Jerusalem. And one week later, they were there as the one they had faithfully followed died on a Roman cross. They aren't recognized by name. They don't have any significant amount of notoriety, but they were there following Jesus. And during the time of the crucifixion, we understand that one of the twelve, a man named Judas, how he betrayed Jesus to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. And after all is said and done, Judas, under the weight of his own guilt, he ends up taking his own life. And so now, in the inner circle of 12, there's a void. The 12 disciples, they are now down to 11. And so you fast forward through the story a little bit. Jesus dies on the cross, is buried in the tomb for three days, and then rises on Resurrection Sunday from the dead of his own power. Forty days he shows himself alive to his followers, and then he ascends up to heaven. And I find it interesting that one of the first orders of business is to fill this vacancy that's left by Judas. And even more interestingly, I find, I find it significant how they decide to appoint this new leader. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 12, it says, Then the apostles, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile, and when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Why don't you go ahead and count them with me? We have Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, 
James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Notice, only 11 disciples. Verse 14, it goes on saying, They all met together and they were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. And during this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stands up and he addresses them and he begins to tell them how what Judas had done, it was a part of prophecy and, and he had fulfilled his purpose and he has gone to where he belongs. And we pick it up in verse 21. And so now, Peter says, we must choose a replacement for Judas. And here's the qualification. The person we choose must be from among the men who were with us the entire time. The entire time that we were traveling with the Lord Jesus, from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. And whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. We know as apostolics, as Pentecostals, about the 120 that prayed in that upper room in Jerusalem. Many of us know what happened on the day of Pentecost because eventually in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost would be poured out on all of them. A moment that we celebrate and that we consider to be our inception and our heritage. But before they saw that outpouring, they, they had to take care of some business to fill the vacancy of Judas. And when looking to find somebody to replace him, and to fill out the twelve, they had some pretty simple qualifications. They weren't looking for someone that was charismatic and suave. They weren't looking for someone who was abundantly gifted. They weren't looking for a wordsmith or an eloquent preacher. They were simply looking for somebody who had been with them since the beginning. They were looking for someone who had been there. And amazingly, out of all the many dozens, perhaps hundreds, that followed Jesus as a disciple beyond the twelve of the inner circle, there were only two people, just two people that fit that bill. Verse 23 tells us, so they nominated two men, Joseph and Matthias. Joseph and Matthias. Out of dozens who had followed Jesus during his earthly ministry, only two men had been faithful over these past three years, from his baptism to his ascension. They stayed with Jesus when he gave them free food and also when he didn't. When many other disciples stopped following Jesus in John chapter 6, these two men were among the ones who didn't. You continue to read in Acts chapter 1. So they all prayed, O oh Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone to where he belongs. And so they cast lots, and one of these two men, Matthias, was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. You know, Matthias and I, we share the same name meaning, gift from God. To everybody listening, you're welcome. Just teasing. Gift from God. We share the same name, meaning. But you know, I also feel like we share the same story. Here's the story of how Matthias ended up in leadership and was used to help found the church in the first century. 
he was there. That's it. Matthias was there. For more than three years, Matthias had witnessed it all in absolute obscurity. The Gospels never mention his name, and yet he was there on every page. Matthias never followed Jesus in order to serve as an apostle. He didn't stick around to fill that first vacancy that might open up someday. He didn't even climb the steps to that upper room that day to to politic and to fish for votes. Matthias simply followed Jesus from the very beginning with no motive but faithfulness. And because he kept showing up and was a faithful follower, even when others walked away, he was a prime candidate to be used by God. He was there. Acts chapter 1, the passage we just read, is the only place in the Bible that we see Matthias' name recorded. But though he is often unnamed and unsung, he was there. Throughout all four Gospels, standing somewhere in the crowd, lending a hand, faithfully showing up, was Matthias. And though you don't see his name appear again in the rest of the New Testament, Matthias is still there. It's his story. Because now he's among the twelve. And every time you read of the apostles as a group, or the twelve collectively, you can rest assured that Matthias, he's still there among the twelve. He was among the twelve when Peter stood up and preached on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He was there among the twelve when they appointed seven disciples to help serve and administrate the needs of the church in Acts chapter 6. And when the believers were scattered due to persecution, he was among the twelve who remained in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 8. And when we get to heaven, can I tell you this morning that we will see one of the twelve foundations of the new Jerusalem and it will bear the name Matthias simply because Matthias was faithful. He was there. Matthias was there in the middle of everything Jesus was doing throughout his earthly ministry. He remained faithful, and because of it, he was well positioned for kingdom service. I've come to preach this morning, and I hasten to a close, that if you will keep God's kingdom top priority in your life, you will live abundantly blessed. I believe that. I have seen that. And by the grace of God, I have lived that out. In Matthew 6, 33, Jesus said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first, top priority. And his righteousness and and everything else that you'll have need of, God said, I'm going to add it to your life. If you will keep God's kingdom top priority, if you will be faithful, you will live abundantly blessed. I would be more specific this morning and I would say certainly in the season that we are living in when at times like today we are are not able to gather in person. I would say if you will keep your church a top priority. More than recreation. More than extracurricular activities. More than leisure. If we will make it a priority to be present at every opportunity, every time the doors are open, if we will stay right in the middle of everything going on and just be there, I'm telling you today, I'm a witness this morning, that God can open doors for us to make a difference. My message this morning is very simple, and it is this. 
Simple faithfulness is incredibly powerful in your walk with God. Simple faithfulness is incredibly powerful in your walk with God. I close today with another biblical character, and this time from the Old Testament. His name was Mordecai. And we read about him in the book of Esther. Many of you would know his story, at least generally. He was the cousin of the recently appointed queen of Persia. Her Jewish name was Hadassah. Esther, we know her as in the Bible. And Mordecai had raised Esther as his own daughter after her parents had died. Honestly, Mordecai was an ordinary man by all accounts, but his life had significant impact. And it wasn't necessarily because he was gifted or he had high-ranking positions. But I submit that his life was one of importance and impact simply because he was a man of faithfulness. You see, Mordecai, he had a job at the king's gate, which he showed up for day in and day out. He was a gatekeeper. And each day Mordecai was there, kind of like Matthias and Perhaps if you would say like me and others that are faithful here at our church, he was like a fixture there at the king's gate. And his faithfulness to his post, it positioned him to be used by God significantly. For example, in Esther chapter 2, there are two of the king's eunuchs that hatch a plan to assassinate King Ahasuerus. And the Bible tells us that while Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, He overhears these two men conspiring against the king, Esther 2, verse 1. He then passes this information along through Esther to King Ahasuerus, and the king's life is spared, and the two traitors are executed. And I would suggest and say that it happened simply because Mordecai was faithful to his position. He was there, showed up day in and day out, And because he was faithful, he was in the right place at the right time. And that one event, it begins to lend itself to orchestrate other events that you will read through the book of Esther and see. It's powerful what happens when God's people are faithful. Just showing up, being consistent, being a dedicated individual, it can have a powerful result in your life. But it wasn't only the thwarted assassination that came as a result of showing up. This is actually a recurring detail in the book of Esther. That that Mordecai was there again and again at the king's gate. There's another man in the story of Esther. A wicked man named Haman. And he is the most powerful noble in all of Persia. Next to the king himself. And Haman would walk through those very gates where Mordecai was stationed. Haman, he was full of evil and he hated God's people. And while all the the other officials, they were bowing down and making obeisance and making a time over Haman, Mordecai refused to bow down to the enemy. Hear me today, I know it's simple this morning, but all Mordecai did was show up and he remained faithful to God. He showed up And remain faithful to God. He chose not to bow down to this evil man. 
And Mordecai's simple faithfulness drove Haman crazy. Every time Haman walked through those gates, Mordecai was there. And simply because he was there, and he refused to yield to this wicked man and bow his knee to the enemy, Haman was angry. All he did was show up. All he did was be faithful. And the enemy was furious. Can I tell you this morning that the enemy of your soul and mine hates it when a child of God is willing to simply show up, be faithful, and refuse to bow. The enemy hates it when you show up each morning to your place of prayer and you bow your knee not to the enemy but to God in submission and you pray His kingdom to come and His will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. The enemy hates it when you take time to be in God's Word every day. When you show up to allow the Logos and the Rhema to impact your life. The enemy hates it when, when you're in the house of God every time the doors are open, every chance you get. It drives the enemy crazy when you and I are simply faithful. And I hope when the enemy considers my life, and I hope when he considers your life and all of our lives, I hope that above all else, he would say, in frustration and consternation, he was there. She was there. I never stopped seeing them in prayer. I never stopped seeing them in the house of God. I never stopped seeing them coming to the altar and praying for their prodigal and praying for their city. They were there. They were faithful. They were there raising their family in truth. They were there bringing their kids every chance they got. Yeah, it's a little bit inconvenient. And yeah, it can be a challenge sometimes with little ones. But they were always there. And it, and it frustrates me. It angers me. I hope the enemy, when he looks at me, that's the epitaph over my life and my existence. He was there. He was there. Because the enemy fears a person who is faithful. I close with one passage from the book of Esther, chapter 5, beginning at verse 9. So Haman, he goes forth on a particular day. He's just been at a banquet with King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther. Just the three of them, and he is elated. And so he goes forth from the banquet with a joyful and with a glad heart. Watch this, though. But when Haman saw Mordecai, in the king's gate, and that he stood not up nor moved for him. He was full of indignation against the man of God. Nevertheless, Haman, he refrained himself. He pulled himself together. And when he came home, he sent and he called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. And Haman told them of all the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children. He starts thinking about all the good things that are going for him. All the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above all the princes and the servants of the king. I mean, he was one of the top dogs and he was bragging about it. Verse 12, Haman said, moreover, yea, Esther, the queen, she didn't let any other man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared, only myself. And tomorrow, guess what? I'm invited unto her also with the king. I'm going to another banquet. And he's pumped and excited. But I love verse 13. The Bible says, yet all of this, every good thing 
that the enemy has going for him. Everything that would cause him joy and celebration. All the good that was happening for Haman. He said, this availeth me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. All of the pomp and circumstance. All the notoriety. All the blessings and benefits that Haman had in his life. It was all for naught. In his mind at least. Simply by the faithfulness of one man of God. Mordecai's faithfulness to his post at the king's gate and refusing to bow to the enemy. It made all the good in Haman's domain. It made it all seem for naught and it was all because of simple faithfulness. What are you doing, Mordecai, that drives the enemy so mad? Really, not a whole lot. I'm just showing up. I'm being faithful and I'm refusing to bow. Eventually, Mordecai is elevated by the king, and Haman is killed. And in many ways, those events, they are all tied to the faithfulness of this one man. Because he was there, every day at the king's gate, God orchestrated the downfall of the enemy and the promotion of godliness in that nation. Again, I say what I am preaching is that simple faithfulness is incredibly powerful in your walk with God. Hell fears a man or a woman. Young or old, it matters not. Hell fears a person that is faithful, that is consistent, that keeps the kingdom and God's house and his relationship, his or her relationship, top priority with God. I want that to be my story, not just in the years that have gone by, but also in all the years to come in my life. And I, I want that to be all of our story. He was there. She was there. And because of it, God had his hand upon them.